Welcome back to Cooper Duper, a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people. This is Jess. I'm Mikey. And we are back. We are talking about episode four. Um, the weird title is Rest in Pain. Mm-hmm. That's not what that's not a canonical title, but it's what yep. we use. Um, so any thoughts before we just kind of dig in? Um, the Log Lady intro um, is one of my favorites, if anybody watched it with that. Um, I can read it before we start. Okay. Um, but that just that last line of one mm-hmm. day the sadness will end is just a... And like right to your face, it's just such a beautiful... Yeah. Like real reminder outside of just the context of Twin Peaks and everything. Mm-hmm. Just it's There's something sweet about somebody looking you dead in the eyes and saying one day the sadness will end. Mm, yeah. It, it's especially it's, poignant right now. Yeah, exactly. And it's, yeah, I think it's, I think it's beautiful. Um, let's do actually a quick summation to how we got to where we are. Um, you and me or you and the me. show? Oh, no, no, no. You and I are going to do a summation of where we got, how we got to where we are in the show. Okay. So, um, so we know Laura Palmer died. Agent Cooper came in to um, to investigate. So he's taken over the case. Um, most recently, he brought in his forensics guy, mm-hmm. uh, whose name is Albert Rosenfield. Albert Rosenfield, who is rude. Um, well, more on that later. Um, and then we have Laura's parents, who are grieving tremendously. Uh, last episode, we saw Leland Palmer grabbing hit Laura's um, picture and like dancing with it mm-hmm. around the living room in a horrifying it, way. It's this show has now taken a shift from lining up suspects mm-hmm. and more let's learn about the people, mm-hmm. which is where the show wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Um, that was always, I mean, always obviously there was a, a mystery to be solved or whatever. Um, but the show was always supposed to be about this town and the people in it. Mm-hmm. And this this episode specifically really sets that up. Mm-hmm. Um, and a little bit in the previous episode, but it goes from that switch of right. Here's a list of potential suspects right. to you know we're not here to just to solve a murder. Where mm-hmm. this is we're going to explore all of this. Right. So we've got um, actually you know what? let's dig in. I think. There's not a lot that you need context for in this episode. It's pretty, if you understand Laura died. They start setting up a lot of new stuff in yeah. this episode. Um, so I'm going to read the log lady. And, and it's kind of, you get, it's Laura Palmer's funeral. So you kind of get closure to right. the Laura Palmer story. Yeah. If, if, well, do you? I mean, the way the way it was, the series was supposed to be with mm-hmm. it just kind of being this ongoing thing. It's closure in that like... Like I was just saying, like it isn't entirely about who killed Laura Palmer. Mm-hmm. Who killed Laura Palmer is the hook, right? But this show is about more than that, and right. it's trying to. It's kind of like closing that off in its own little place. Mm-hmm. Okay, so starting with the log lady, um, and again, this is the log lady uh, just sitting before anything happens in the show. It's just her talking straight to camera, holding yeah. her log, and like. A study, it and it's like. all written by David Lynch. Right. So everything 
Yeah, basically, it's a straight monologue to Cameron. Yeah, it's it's David Lynch saying anything that he wants to say to you after the fact, mm-hmm. after the whole series was aired. So a lot of that, if you watch the, if you're watching it on a repeat viewing, a lot of those Log Lady intros mean a lot more when you know the entire sure arc of the story, story as a whole. Um, but yeah. Um, so she says, there is a sadness in this world for we are ignorant of many things. Yes, we are ignorant of many beautiful things, things like the truth. So sadness in our ignorance is very real. The tears are real. What is this thing called a tear? There are even tiny ducks, tear ducks, to produce these tears should the sadness occur. Then the day when sadness comes, then we, then we ask, Will the sadness make me cry? Will the sadness that makes me cry my heart out, will it ever end? The answer, of course, is yes. One day, the sadness will end. Very good. Very point. Yeah. We, Mikey's wiping away invisible, sarcastic tears at my dramatic reading. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and especially because the actress who played the log lady, whose name is... Catherine Coulson. Died three years ago? She died during the filming of the... Yeah, like they rewrote um, stuff so that they could shoot her on day one, two, and three of the shoot mm-hmm. for for the the relaunch, the return right. in, in 2017. They they so she died in 2015 is when they were shooting. Oh, because it was supposed to come out in 2016, and then there was a whole thing. But they they didn't even have any everything finalized. But her health took a turn. Mm-hmm. She had had cancer. Um. And they they bumped it up, and they got to her to film for like two or three days, and mm-hmm. she died like two days later. Oof. Like, it's so sad. And, and her work is incredible. And like, there's there's a there. It's been kickstarted. Um, Richard Green, who plays the uh, magician in uh, Mulholland Drive, if anybody's seen oh. that. Um, the Noai Banda guy. He is working on a documentary right now called I Know Catherine the Log Lady, and it's all about her, and it looks fantastic. Yeah, she's she was really a beloved person. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and a dear friend of David Lynch's mm-hmm. for many, many, many years. Mm-hmm. I remember I heard in a... God, I hope this is right. Uh, the actress from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Stephanie Beatrice, um, who plays mm-hmm. Rosa... When she moved to L.A., she, I, I heard her in, in, in a podcast years ago. Apparently when she moved to L.A., Catherine Coulson taught her how to drive because she was from New York and didn't know how to drive. Really? Yeah. I don't know if that's true. might be apocryphal. I don't know. I think it's sweet. Huh. I like it. And it. That's funny because I, I don't think Catherine Coulson even lived in L.A. Like she lived up in... Um, she was big into the Shakespeare Company in, in Oregon. Maybe it wasn't L.A. Maybe I'm making up. I don't. I mean, it's it, it could be. It's great. That's cool. Okay. She's yeah, a delightful human being. Yeah. Okay. So jumping in, at the Great Northern, Andre watches Cooper walk down the hallway toward her. She she greets him by the fireplace. He asks her to join him for breakfast, and she asks her to write her name on a piece of paper. Then compares her handwriting to the note he received under his door. There's several moments in that, like the whole walk up. There's the good good morning, Colonel Cooper. Uh, this made me deeply uncomfortable. But why? I'm curious. Um, because I think he indulges her flirtation way too much. I don't think he's actively hitting on her, but I do think he's stringing her along in a way that he defo shouldn't. He's the way, he, when he's, he's 
pulling out her as this he says her like oh your perfume because he recognizes the perfume as being the same perfume that was sprayed on the letter that he got yesterday that mm-hmm. said jack with one eye like he's putting these pieces together and letting her tell him without questioning her about it yeah i kind of hate it i mean it's fine i it, nothing untoward happens it's just a, a vibe that i'm not mm-hmm. into um so he compares her handwriting to the note he received under his door. Remember, it said Jack with one eye. She says that she wanted, and it turns out she wrote it real sneaky. Mm-hmm. Um, she says she wanted to help him for Laura. He asked what one eyed Jack is, Jack's is, and she explains it vaguely. I really like when she's like, the men go there. <laughs> and, and Cooper's and like, do women go there? You know, the women work, work there. there. Wink. But it, it also just like, the childishness comes like mm-hmm. the the fact that like she's so infatuated with Cooper that she wants to be a big FBI agent mm-hmm. now a colonel <laughs> yeah but is clearly so far in over her head mm-hmm. like she wants to be helpful but at the same time it's like like that's why she wrote Jack with one eye because I think she thinks it's cryptic in this way that's like ooh this yeah. is very Nancy Drew or something <laughs> you know what I mean like she's just not good at it. And and the whole time he is in complete control of everything she's doing and saying. Yes, absolutely. And um, she's falling for every trap, mm-hmm. you know. And I don't know, what what did you think about the part when he's like this left slant on your handwriting indicates what a dreamer, a lover, a a uh, he says it in, indicates Rome. Like this is where he's shutting her down. Uh-huh. Very poetically. He mm. said, she says it's something it's, it indicates a romantic no- nature or something along those lines saying, and then says, I don't remember the line now, but he says, he shuts that, he said, but be careful with that. Yeah. And basically what he's saying is, you, I know, I know you wrote this. I get, I'm picking up on your, the fact that you're hitting on me. Right. Be careful with that. Don't go there. And it's just a, you know. A, a clever roundabout way and I think that's another thing that's so one of the this is a, a lot of this episode this is got three writing credits Lynch Frost and Harley Payton who writes a lot on this show and is a very good writer mm-hmm. f- for this like he like all of the like the dialogue the, is really elevated really, it, yeah in, like the interesting monologue esque, mm-hmm. like not monologues, but like little rants mm-hmm. are just like rhythmic and poetic in this way that like is a little, yeah, elevated is a good way to, a little bit surreal almost, mm-hmm. but like the way he said this indicates a romantic, you know, yeah. inclination. And you're like, that's not. Nobody speaks like that, but it's also very beautiful to listen to. Oh, yeah. Like, some of the best lines of dialogue in the show were written by Harley Payton. Good to know. Uh, one thing we forgot to talk about leading up to uh, leading up to this episode is he had the dream in the Red Room, which was pretty important. And also, he woke up in the middle of the night, calls Harry Cooper, nope, Harry Truman, and says, I know who killed Laura Palmer. And that's, oh, oh, j- that oh, was a cliffhanger your, to get here. Up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, gotcha. So, um, so he sees Sheriff Harry Truman and Lucy. They're sitting in the dining room together. Mm-hmm. Sees uh, Harry and Lucy walk in. Um, 
and he tells Audrey to leave. So, um, and then they sit down, they're perched forward on the edge of their seats. Yeah. You know, Lucy's got her notepad out and then Cooper breaks to order coffee and breakfast and goes on a little. In the most specific way. Yeah. Short stack of griddle cakes, melted butter, maple syrup, lightly heated, slice of ham. Nothing beats the taste sensation when maple syrup collides with ham. And so he's holding them in suspense as they think he's solved this yeah. murder. And they're listening to him not just order food, but like really like bloviate over mm-hmm. it. Like mm-hmm. he really is making a meal, forgive the pun, of of ordering breakfast. Um, and so they're leaning forward and he um, he shares the dream. And of course, in true Cooper form, he starts at the fucking beginning. <laughs> yeah. He does not get to like the important thing that they're all here to find mm-hmm. out. Mike is there and Bob is there. Mike and Bobby? No, no. a different Mike and a different Bob. Um, which I'm glad they actually acknowledge it. I don't think I realized they acknowledged how oh, many yeah. like double names there are, which there's a lot of characters in this show and doubling up on names is not helpful for me. Well, yeah, but I think it's funny that they do things like that. I think A, he thinks it's funny and B, it it's a double yeah the it's duality a, it's thing it's the do yeah it's but it's also i think it's it's also realistic like mike and bob are two really common names you're bound to end up with a couple you know right. what i mean yeah like, no i mean it's not unrealistic yeah. but like i don't think david lynch is super worried about realism in his oh, yeah, for sure. um so Cooper shares a dream with him, uh, admits that he forgot who killed Laura Palmer, but he gives them the full lowdown. He talks about Bob. He talks about Mike. He and talks this, about yeah, the man from another place. Yeah, this is where place. he mentions, so all of the clues that he got from mm-hmm. the man from another place, this is, who, another, that's like the Blue Pine Lodge thing where like, mm-hmm. I don't know that any, he's ever referred to as the man from another place. He might be credited as that. That's what I've always heard. Yeah, that's what yeah. I, everyone calls him, yeah. but I don't know that it's ever said on screen. Gotcha. It's one of those deals. Um but the the dancing dwarf um, in the red room, all of like the where we're from, the birds sing a pretty song, mm-hmm. and there's always music it's, in the air. The gum you like will come back in style. Like Mikey Sometimes has said, my arms bend back. You know, like Mikey said before, these are really good little chunks of like, all right, let's get everybody caught up, make sure everyone's on mm-hmm. the same page before we continue this journey. Um, and it's done in a relative like. It's in a relatively effective way because we don't have... Like, usually with exposition, there's somebody new in town and that's who the exposition is given to. Like, mm-hmm. in which we see that with, like, who's a lady with a log. It's a log lady. Which, which is funny because you were introduced to somebody new in town in this episode. Right. And, and, and they don't do that. Well, and they... Oh, yeah. I forgot about her. With Maddie Ferguson. Um, But, yeah, I think it's kind of an interesting narrative thing that they do of... Instead of Cooper's the new person and, okay, everything's going to be explained to him because he's the new guy, which they do with Mm -hmm. some of the characters. But this is very much like, all right, I am going to catch you up on this weird fucked up dream world that I'm living in now. Buckle it. (laughs) He doesn't seem at all distraught by the fact that he does not remember what Laura said to him. Oh my God. So even killed. And it's, it's, it's simple. Break the code, solve the crime. That's it. That's all Uh, we got to do. Break the code, solve the crime. Um... Yeah, so he says break the break the code, solve the crime. Um, mentions the fire walk with me slogan, um, and then Harry and so Harry and Lucy are admittedly more confused than when they walked in. Well, there's that great <laughs> moment too when he's like, "So what did she say? Who killed Laura Palmer?" He's like, "I don't remember." <laughs> damn, damn. Like the the back to like 
They both like. Lucy does not step a foot wrong in any episode of anything. She's a delight. Her comic timing is perfect. I adore her. Yeah. So then Harry gets a radio message that there's a fight at the morgue, and Cooper immediately is like, Albert. I know who that is. So if you remember, Albert came in. He's from DC. Philadelphia. He's from Philadelphia. Uh, Really anything like. East of Ohio, I think is all DC. <laughs> it's like a weird bad joke. Um, <laughs> oh, and so he's very uh, Albert is very bristly and mm-hmm. deeply dislikable, except for if your name is Mikey Grife, in which case I, I mean he's an unlikable character. Like he's an unlikable character in the, within the show, but I think his portrayal of him, the dialogue, the like the way he speaks like yeah i just i, I mean, find him is... delightful to watch i think his performance is incredible very good all of that is like it's i think it's just wonderful i really like him and there's moments i really like it's always like one step too mean for me i don't know why maybe because i'm conflict avoidant but i think all of that part of that too is like that and that could be but it's look at your east coasters look at your like he's just blunt mm-hmm. he's used to dealing with people where he can talk to people harsh simple here are the facts yeah, and they say the fine i'll give you the thing you need not like oh well, we were gonna try and bring the body a few days early instead of doing to, yeah you know, to the few like he's like that doesn't happen where he's from right and he has no he's a fish out of water as much as you know them having him there there is aggressive Uh, yeah and he um he is not empathetic he is very like he's somebody who has worked with death his whole life and Mm -hmm. therefore is sort of phased by it yeah he's He's very cold would you have to be if you work in that that kind of business um but he's also not good at couching that and talking to like laura's doctor and he's been like he's clearly gotten to a point where he's been constantly rewarded for being incredibly good at his job right so, and and he is mm-hmm. and like like he said we'll get to that but it, when he says at the end of his rundown of the autopsy stuff of like i found and a great job albert thank you for all this stuff that you found he's like give me two more days and i yeah who knows what i would have found that is that and, it's, and that's and like that's the thing is there's there's an honesty level to his yes he's rude and blunt and whatever but deep down, he wants to solve. It. He wants right. to find everything so that this justice can happen. That's ex- and that's honestly what. Let's get to what, what the fight was about. So, um, Albert and Doctor Hayward um, are in the morgue arguing over whether to release Laura Palmer's body for the funeral. Um, Albert insults everyone. Ultimately, Harry punches him, which is great. That I drop in that that quote maybe because his. Insult when he's like, when you come in here, hurl an insult. And then he goes off on this rant with like 15 insults. And I wish I had it memorized, but I don't. But like where he's talking about mm-hmm. you du- the dolts and Hayseed. dullards and dumbbells and whatever. And just drops a bunch. And every one of them is like, these are great insults I haven't heard in ages. <laughs> they are. And they're, they're old and, they're, and, and like, Cooper, this old fool is obstructing a criminal investigation. Cuff him. He won't release Laura's body for the funeral. He's not human. What's the holdup? Please, Cooper. I do not suffer fools gladly and fools with badges never. I want no interference from this hulking boob. Is that clear? I've had just about enough of your insults. 
Oh, yeah. Well, I've had about enough of uh, morons and half-wits, dolts, dunces, dullards, and dumbbells. And you, chowderhead yokel, you blithering hayseed, you, you, you've had enough of me. I a hundred bucks as that was written by Harley Payton. Right. That's, that's very much his style. But like that whole run mm-hmm. of insults at right after he says, like you come in here hurling insults and he's like, well, I'm gonna give you all the insults. Yeah. It's just fantastic. You think you've heard insults from yeah. me? Um, yeah. So like you can, you can do your, you can dig a hole and drop a body in the ground at any time. I can't do this autopsy in an hour tomorrow, next week. I have to do it yeah. now. And while, obviously, I'm not thrilled with how he treated everybody, he he's right, and I think it yeah. kind of sucks that everybody's like, well, we need to, the funeral schedule for today. Like, don't you guys want to figure out who and, and But that's part of it is they're not used to it. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're, they're used to this small town. Somebody dies, we have a funeral. Yeah. Like, I need to grieve. Or look at, look at the... The, the Palmer family, they're losing their minds. Mm-hmm. We need to give them some closure. Like, right. they're looking out for, like, Leland can't even go to this. He sends Ben Horn in his place to be like, mm-hmm. get my daughter to the funeral. Right. Like, it's, yeah. Um, so, uh, so um, Harry punches Albert after all the insults, and Albert lands on Laura's body, which is a lot. Uh, Cooper orders Albert to release the body, and the men leave, um, and Cooper stays behind and arranges the body. Um, very, very delicately. Very delicately. But, like, in a way that's, like, there's a connection. Like, he grabs her wrist and puts it up on the table mm-hmm. in this way that's, like... Like, is it reverent, or is it there... Yeah, yeah. like, there's... there Like, but possibly beyond... Like, there's... There is some connection mm-hmm. that's more that, like... That's that's deeper than what's on the surface i guess somehow Mm -hmm. all right we cut to the palmer household um leland is watching our favorite show invitation to love invitation to love um and a nurse is giving him a shot is there anything um important in the show quote unquote show i mean one of the the big direct connections like there's some stuff that is potentially foreshadowing later events Mm mm-hmm but one of the big things was, and star is it's the opening credits, and it's like starring so and so, starring so, starring this person as Emerald and Jade. Yeah. And then this is when you're introduced to Madeline Ferguson, who's mm-hmm. Laura's cousin, also played by Cheryl Lee, In a brown who plays wig. Laura Palmer. Right. So it's they're they're throwing that joke out there of like the same actress is going to play two, two characters. Keep them separate, yeah, you know. If I'm remembering right, in the um, uh, in the show, that it's the same actress playing twins, and she is it's wearing a, like dramatically a blonde, different. Yeah, a wins. blonde and a brown. Yeah, it's brunette. a blonde and a brunette. This, yeah, uh, and 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 so they so you introduce to Madeline Ferguson, who is also like Lynch likes to do a lot is make reference to his favorite movies like characters and things like that. So her name is Madeline Ferguson, which is Kim Novak's first name from Vertigo and Jimmy Stewart's last name from Vertigo. Huh. Which Vertigo is one of his, like he talks about Vertigo and um, Wizard of Oz as being his two favorite movies. That and and (coughs) excuse me, Sunset Boulevard being the other one. Sunset Boulevard. Which you'll find out later too when Gordon Cole comes in. That's a character from Sunset Boulevard. Oh my god, I never connected that. And I've seen that movie like two or three times. 
Yeah, Gordon Cole is from Sunset Boulevard. Huh. And then Madeline Ferguson is a reference to Vertigo. He makes Wizard of Oz jumps or connections in a lot of his work a lot. Interesting. I almost said Henry Gale, but that's a lost thing. Yeah, we're also <laughs> watching Lost during this quarantine. So, you know, if all of a sudden we start talking about an island, we just got a little confused. Yeah. <laughs> They're very similar shows. Um, so he walks to her, she gives her condolences, and they hug. Um, yeah, I think that's all we learn about Maddie. Basically, yeah, her cousin She's is in from introduced. out of town to attend the funeral. Although it, I, I always think it's wild that they, her parents sent her to like stay with her aunt and uncle, but her parents themselves didn't show up to be like, yeah, my niece died. I guess I should go mourn her and make sure my brother I mean, and our sister. Like one of those, yeah, like the kids grew up playing together when yeah. they were kids. Who knows what the parents are up to? Mm-hmm. But it was, it was an example of they shot the pilot. Cheryl Lee was brought on to play a body in the sand, mm-hmm. do a photo the, shoot. Those flashbacks. And do the, the brief flashback moments, and that's all she was ever hired for. Um, and and Lynch really, really liked working with her. He liked her performances and just wanted to get her in somewhere, which is why they wrote in the Madeline the Ferguson character. character to be played by Cheryl Lee. Um, okay, so we cut to the Double Art Diner, uh, which is the diner where a lot of, uh, it's kind of a hub for our characters to, to meet up. So and, and always a safe spot, mm-hmm. which we've talked about. It really is like nothing, like very, very rarely does anything remotely bad happen mm-hmm. at the Double R. Um, so Norma is talking to her husband's parole officer Mm, um so norma again is the uh owner of the double r diner um her husband is in jail we find out because of manslaughter three to five years or whatever does not seem very long for manslaughter i i mean it might be spoiling something they go into that later um it's manslaughter but it was like a that's what she says and it was involuntary manslaughter for a car accident but she, okay, yeah. which they go into that a little bit more in detail. It's not really all that important, but it's because she kind of follows she, up. She says it like because he's hitting on her, and he says, "My husband's doing three to five for man's like to make it sound more threatening." Yeah, but it it's yeah. I guess yeah. I, I guess it's just hard because not hard, but it's it's odd to me because he is supposedly this really violent character, you know, and she's. People are threatening like she threatens people with him, right? Isn't that sort of That's, her whole jam? She He's is like, be careful, my husband's a murderer. The guy's hit. The parolee is hitting on her. Okay, I guess. So what he, he, me- what he so the parole officer says something about like, I bet you get a lot of Romeos around mm-hmm. here. What do you do to steer them away? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and she's trying tells him, to, and he, and she's like, yeah, yeah, my husband can kill you. Um, and, she, and so I think it's she's trying to make him sound more menacing. Okay. But I, I don't... But even so, he's a menacing character. And so the involuntary manslaughter doesn't really jive with, like, him kind of as a general level yeah. threat. Because it's also, like, really tense when he when he's going to get out of prison. And yeah. if he finds out about, about Big Ed, with whom he's, he's, she's having an he's affair. Scum, but it also feels like one of those kind of things that, like... He's kind of just a local scumbag who, yeah. who never really got caught. Like, like they explain about Leo in like the next scene. Mm-hmm. He's a guy who we've got a rap sheet on where 
we just haven't caught him's hand in the cookie jar for anything important mm-hmm. yet. The manslaughter thing might be one of those that, like, we've had our eyes on Hank Jennings. We just haven't been able to nail sure. him on anything yet. Sure. We've got a chance to put him away for something. Let's get him on this. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's OJ for the tax mm-hmm. whatever. Not even tax. It was no, like he was the theft. It was, he yeah, stole theft. a trophy. He, he that stole was his. his own thing or yeah. whatever. Like, it's that crap. Like, there we go. But just something to make up for or whatever. What's his face? The gangster is the one who got busted on tax. Yeah, Capone. Capone. Did I tell you the story when I was in Greece? Sorry, quick sidebar. I had red hair at the time. Um, I did a semester in London. And so my friends and I were walking around Athens and a woman asked, people would always ask me if I was Irish because of the red hair and because Irish and and Americans say are ours and no other English speaking countries do. And it was a sweet old Greek woman. She did these little um, paintings of the Parthenon. I think I still have one somewhere. And she said, oh, where are you? Irish? And like broken English. Are you Irish? No, no, no. Um, I'm from America. Oh, where? Chicago. <gasps> Gangsters. <laughs> it was, it, on, bang, bang. It yeah. was extremely wholesome because it was like the year 2006. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like, you know, I was there in the 50s. And I that mean, it's just... true. The Chicago is a huge hub for, mm-hmm. um, yeah. The for, balance de- for gangsters that weren't like full on like Italian mob connected. Like it was like Yeah, the Valentine's Day murder and your and your Capones and guys like that. Yeah, like, the Valentine's Day murder happened near where we used to live in Uptown, as did the place where Dillinger got plastic surgery. It's above the green door. Green mill. Surgery. Okay. I thought you were gonna say the the biograph, like the which is the theater he got shot outside. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was I did a um like a biking true crime tour with my friend Matt one mm-hmm. time and it was a bunch of Dillinger stuff and he we lived in Uptown which uh, the Green Mill is there which is extremely famous really old mm-hmm. there's I think still tunnels I don't know if it's still active but there yeah there I don't think they're tunnels active tunnels the... everybody says if you're nice to the bartenders they'll show you but also being nice the the Green Mill hates you oh, everybody yes. who works at the Green Mill hates you mm-hmm Unless you have been going there for 50 years, mm-hmm. they hate you. Yeah. So, anyway. So, there's no being nice to the bartender. Right. And because I, the, the thing is, people probably said that shit, and now they're like, no, 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 fuck you. I'm sick of people being like, hey. Hey, wink, wink. Yeah. Buddy, if I tip you an extra $4, yeah, will you bring right. me? Also, the cocktails there were really expensive, so I couldn't like, yeah, hang out and really. It's a cool place to visit once mm-hmm. and then never go back to again. We, um, I don't know. If you it's might a cool have been... place to have said you've been to. Yeah, I went there. The first time I went there was for like a slam poetry night. It was perfect. It's exactly yeah. what the experience you need. Um, and then one time I was meeting a friend for lunch and I read like Great Gatsby for an hour at the bar. So like, I feel like I did the Green Mill right. <laughs> I remember one time after midnight uh, on New Year's, I think you were working. And this is why they hate us. You go, you go to the Green Mill to read the Great Gatsby. <laughs> okay, it was definitely the most pretentious thing I've ever done, but... I, and I you felt, were drinking a martini, I assume? Uh, I was drinking a glass of wine. Okay. <laughs> As is my wine. It was like two in the afternoon. Even I don't drink martinis <laughs> at two in the afternoon. Um, but we tried to go there after midnight one time on New Year's. And they still, it was like maybe 1.30 a.m. on New Year's. And they still charged a cover. And I was like, fuck this. And yeah. we went to whatever trash I, bar was no, near. No, well, that's one. It's one of the times we found out that like Fat Cat was like our new favorite bar. Fat Cat's the shit. Oh, I miss Fat Cat it's, so it's much. A few do- if you're ever in Chicago, you try to go to the Green Mill. A few doors down is a place called Fat Cat. We love that place. Love go Fat to Fat Cat. Cat. Yeah. 
So anyway, Twin Peaks. <laughs> so they visit... How do we spin off? Oh, Capone. Yeah. Tax evasion. I say tax evasion. Cooper and the sheriff vis- visit Leo Johnson at his home. Harry explains that they have not caught Leo on anything illegal. And they question him about his relationship with Laura Palmer. Um, and, it, and it shows how much research Cooper's done on everybody. Oh, yeah, because they... He's like, oh, have you, you ever been charged with a crime? He's like, nope, never. And he's like... And he just August rattles off. Like, parking violation. Like, it minor, minor, minor offenses. But then, but like, like, drunk and disorderly. Has yeah, like a- but, like, things he, you know... or And then there was, like, assault charges dropped. Mm-hmm. Things that... But he knew everything. Yeah. Even, even the drop charges things and stuff. So he... Has done clearly done his research mm-hmm. on on you know his potential suspects. Um, Cooper lists off crim- Leo's criminal record and asks where he was the night of the murder. He says he called his wife Shelley from Butte, Montana. Leo's a truck driver. I'm not sure if we established yes. that like a long haul. Yeah. Um, that's the end of that scene. So then we cut to God. I guess it's a church where Bobby and. Um, his father, whose name I can't think of, Major oh, Briggs. Oh, it's a soundstage. <laughs> but there was a crucifix on the wall, so. <laughs> yeah, they, they call them soundstages. <laughs> Shut up. Um, so we just see the back of Bobby. He's in a suit. He, like, does a little crucifix pose himself. His father, Major Briggs, does he have a first name? Um, Garland. There's your Wizard of Oz reference, by the way. No kidding. Yeah. Uh, Garland Briggs uh, walks in, who's his father. Um, he lectures Bobby about funerals and responsibility while Bobby plays with his lighter. Bobby's such an asshole. I love it. But it's but He's such like a dipshit kid. It's, it's a great little meta scene where he talks like, what he's saying is like, I understand that you are not one to gain in meaningful exchange of communication with your father in a certain, you know, whatever situation like this. And that's okay. I understand that. But that's why I feel like I need to force my teachings on you yeah. because you are not receptive to them. So I'm doing this and that's okay. Like, and it's just this really like weird and he's just being an ornery asshole. Very formal. But also I feel like that's a little bit like he is still grieving. Mm-hmm. It is someone he cared about mm-hmm. if, to whatever degree doesn't right. matter even it's like oh shit i knew that person like you grieve to some extent yeah. and I, he's very much in like the denial place of like and people um ang- ang- anger denial is in that kind of yeah combo. and people deal with grief and trauma really really differently which is kind of a thing i really like about this show is like it's, it's an, sort of examination of grief yeah grief and trauma is the absolute through line mm-hmm. excluding the dredges of season two <laughs> but and then it just becomes silly for no reason um but grief grief and trauma are really really powerful elements mm-hmm. in this show and the fact that they're all displayed differently in different characters mm-hmm. so well yes just shows the reality of it in this in this way that i think is enjoyable to watch almost like if it's it feels safe or something yeah and it feels accepting of how everybody's just sort of Mm -hmm. dealing with it um so the major says bobby does not need to be afraid bobby shouts until his mother betty briggs enters and asks if everyone is ready to turn it upside (laughs) down it's so good 
Look, son, don't be afraid. We'll all be there together. Afraid of what? Well, the funeral. I'm not afraid of any damn funeral. Afraid? I can hardly wait. Afraid? I'm gonna turn it upside down! It's a... I don't know if it's... He must have been directed to perform this way because he has those like... Like He's... he has... He punctuates oh, by also, yelling or hitting. Also, we didn't acknowledge... Um... This episode is the first episode directed by an outsider, I guess. Oh, okay. Um, so the first episode after the pilot was directed by Dwayne Dunham, but he edited the pilot. Um, and then it was back to David Lynch. And now this one is directed by Tina Rathborn, I think her name is. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you look her up, she has like two other credits. But it's, really? this is very much, as far as I, I don't know anything about her, really, except for that, like, one of the f- first episodes as a handoff from David Lynch, and she does great work with Yeah, her. it's a great episode. Um, shoot, I lost my spot. He says, I'm going to turn it upside down. Oh, no, no, no. It's, <laughs> I didn't, I just, my page refreshed. Um, but yeah, why does he yell, I'm going to turn it upside down? Because his dad tells him to, like, chill. Yeah, basically, like it. But he he says you're allowed to be sad, you're allowed to grieve, you're allowed to mm. whatever. And he's like, and oh, he just is. I'm gonna mix I'm, it up at this funeral. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I no, don't don't tell me what to do. I'm going to re- whatever you say. I'm going to rebel. Right. You mm-hmm. tell me to be sad and grieve for this scenario. No, fuck it. I'm gonna turn it upside down. Up, sigh down at the station deputy hawk uh, reports that he has been unable to find the one-armed man and cooper tells him to keep trying uh cooper and harry meet with albert to receive his report that's that's a great little just like hey remember the one-armed man okay move on we're not gonna address him in this episode just forget just reminder he's there um so cooper and harry meet with albert uh laura palmer had cocaine in her system and in her diary which um cooper called in the pilot i think mm-hmm. um newsflash the little lady had a problem a <laughs> little lady had a habit sorry yeah you idiot <laughs> um got cocaine in her system and in her diary she'd been tied up two separate on two separate occasions last night and it looks like the killer asked Laura, kissed, whoops, looks like the killer kissed Laura after she was dead. They, what that also doesn't mention is, so she was tied up twice, two different types of twine. and Different he, parts of her arm. He shows arm. Yeah. the way, oh, she was tied at the elbows, connecting the elbows behind her back. And mm-hmm. that's, that's the first instance of the clues he got from the dream playing out to some, oh, sometimes my arms bend back. Yeah. Got it. That means something. Mm-hmm. Um. And then he like does this weird thing to demonstrate how yeah, to... Yeah, it's very like Hamlet Oh, or I hate it. Yeah. It just deeply makes me uncomfortable. Um, uh, there were also claw marks on her shoulder and something in her stomach. Uh, Harry... Which is, leads to one of my favorite quotes of all time in, in, in this show is... He says there's there was claw marks on her, in the back oh. of her neck. And Truman goes, an animal. And... And, and Rosenfield turns off the TV and looks at him and just goes, look, it's trying to think. He's so mean. <laughs> so mean. But Poor it's Harry. a little bit hilarious. 
It's funny. It's just I like him. Yeah, he doesn't I just, deserve his, that. And like the grin on his face like, is just like. <laughs> yeah. And what's funny, but what's great about it is he it's he does these things because he thinks Cooper's on his side. Yes, and, and he's we not. Yes, which we will dig into. He's not against him. He hasn't like turned into a local, but he's really more so than. But he's no, he's just setting that because he's not like going out fishing with the guys or you know uh, what I mean. Sure. He hasn't. He still wears his suits. He's still yeah. He's still very FBI. professional, but he's also putting in the kibosh and saying, mm-hmm. "No, you can't talk to these people like this." Right. Um, so Harry excuses himself to attend the funeral. Albert hands Cooper a report um, concerning the assault on his person, and Cooper lectures Albert on the locals' value of life, refuses to sign, and refuses to sign Albert's report. So he asks him to sign off and saying, "Like, remember when that sheriff punched me?" Yeah. Um, tried, yeah. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna take him down. And Cooper's like, mm, nah, like, yeah, I don't like you or your jam. No, he yeah. likes him. Uh, but he just doesn't like the way he's treated. Just people. get over it. Get over it. Move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Cooper makes a note to Diane about purchasing property in Twin Peaks, which is I did not realize that happened this early. I feel like I remember that I he starts shopping around. I don't even for- think I noticed it in watching this just now. Yeah, he says to Diane, um, "Oh yes, it, look for like property." Very, I can, in, very in, in passing, sort of, but like I think just like th- th- I'd be curious to have like. But he like ends the scene on it. It's yeah. like a whole. I think I could get some property for what I believe will be a reasonable price. Yeah. and then it's like slow fade out while we watch Cooper like smirk into his recording. Um, um, Ed. So this big Ed who is sleeping with um, Norma, mm-hmm. who owns the Double R Diner, and is married to Nadine, mm-hmm. who's the redheaded woman with an eye patch and who is way off her rocker. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ed inspects the tchotchkes on his shelf, including, and I just noticed this, apparently Mikey had noticed it before, but there's a, <laughs> there's like a, it's like very late 80s, early 90s, just like garbage. Like, just, yeah, like generic precious moments. And stuff, yeah. And there's one little like lady figure, and somebody drew a little eye patch on her with marker. It was yeah. cute. Um, uh, his so Nadine rushes up, embraces him, and she gushes about the previous night and talks about their time in high school. Um, and that's I don't know if it's when we established, but we were reminded at least that Ed and Norma were like a power couple in high school. Yeah, and and Nadine was just sort of a nobody, more or less. Yeah, a self-described nobody. Yeah. Um. James comes in, says he's not going to the funeral, I, and leaves. It would have. Thanks for checking in, bud. And I, nice like, to see your face always, James. Here comes that forehead. Um, yeah, it's like the scene would have been if like he was in the back room. And right. Ed was like, "Hey, James, come out here. You're gonna be late. We gotta get going." No, I'm not going. And then he left. But, like, you hear him pull up. They acknowledge that, like, that's not your bike, is it? Like, pulling up. He pulls up. Walks in, takes two steps. <laughs> I'm not going. Doesn't say anything. Stares at him and goes, are you ready? We got to get going soon if we're going to make this funeral. And he goes, I'm not going. I just can't. And then closes the door and leaves. And you're like, <laughs> it's incredible. What were you, like, was he hoping they would have already been gone? 
I don't and he know. was like hoping like I could come back to an empty house. Honestly, you might be overthinking it. I really think it's just they needed to establish why James wasn't yeah. going to be there. And instead of saying James he, isn't coming, I think he, he did show up. Oh, yeah. I think he likes to just check in on his characters, these storytellers. Like make sure we yeah. have a little beat with every character. Because we have a beat with Shelly that that's also from equally pointless. Is, oh, it's wild. The and the fact that Ed and Nadine are standing in the middle of their living room embracing... <laughs> you're a motorcycle and Nadine looks at Ed like that's not your bike and it's like yeah. no Nadine he's literally st- he's touching <laughs> you right now no he didn't is not on his bike outside bless her heart uh, <laughs> Audrey eavesdrops briefly at the office um, then enters a secret passage to spy on her brother and Dr. Jacoby which is also is this- like they established now that they have like those little like service quarter mm-hmm. hallways you know that they can pass through within the walls of the Great Northern, and where River. ghosts live. But it for for like a dramatic sequence where she opens the thing, goes w- walking around, goes around the corner, pulls this piece off the wall to a hole in the wall, gets no information. No, absolutely not. It's Jacoby dealing with her brother who's special needs. He wears like an yeah. Indian, like a Native American, and headdress. he's trying to tell him you can't wear that to the funeral. Right, take it off, and they. And Jacoby's and it, working, and does it? And Jacoby kind of demonstrates that he's a competent doctor because he yeah, does. Yeah, I don't know if we can hear them, but he does like gently. Well, he, help. Tr- he tries to take it off, and he's like, "No, no, no." He's like, "Well, then, can you take it off? Like, yeah. try to like." And meanwhile, Sylvia and Ben Horn are, are just screaming yelling at each other. At each other. Do I have room. to call Jacoby every time I have a problem? Right. Da, 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 da. Which I mean, well, I guess those it, are not the parents who should have a special needs child. Except, but that's it. Absolutely true. Yeah. Um, but that also explains why. Audrey kind of just goes rogue. She just wasn't raised. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, and I think that's also like a rich person problem sure. thing too of yeah. just absent parents. Um, I guess poor people can have absent parents, but for different reasons. Okay. Um, so we got, we cut to the funeral. Um, so it's Reverend... Cl- Do you know his name? No. Clarence Brocklehurst. Duh. That's what I would have guessed. If I had to guess. <laughs> I, I, was, I was thinking Brockle... Brockle Heist, Brockle... He was just trying Brockle to Hurst win... Yeah, yeah, just trying to win like a lot of Brockle points Hurst. in Scrabble on that last name. Uh, he reads a uh, passage of scripture... A passage of scripture at the funeral. Um, do you... Neither of us is religious. Do you know anything about that no. passage? Okay. Um, Cooper watches all three... All, all the people there, especially Bobby. So this is... Yeah, this is an interesting scene. From what I've heard, and I don't remember what was supposed to happen in this whole funeral scene, but this whole funeral scene was really long. And they had to. It was like, originally. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cut it down dramatically. So what ended up happening is they just had this one sh- like center close up of Cooper looking around at everybody and connecting them. Oh. It, it, like, it, it is, becomes a little series of vignettes. Yeah. And it's because it always like you can tell it was not how it was scripted because to get the eye lines to all match up, we're like, I look right and it's Bobby. I look left and it's Audrey. The close-up of Audrey is inverted. How like, can you tell, Michael? I because her hair is parted on the opposite side, and her birthmark is uh, yeah. Not in she's frame. got a cute little freckle. Uh, also, on her face. speaking of her hair, oh yeah, we haven't talked about that. I love this look for her. I'm into the androgyny of it. It's she clearly just trying to be Cooper. It's great because she does it right before she like sneaks into yeah, the wall. She's got like she's these got shoulder pads slicked on, slicked back she's got hair, parted down the sides, slicked up hair, like. Oh, looking like Cooper, and it's fantastic. I'm 
so deeply into that. Like, yeah. I'm into the look for her. I'm inter- I'm into the fact that she has a crush on somebody, but also is, like, emulating him. Like, yeah. is it a crush or is it admiration? And she's somewhere in between. It's, it's just, it's, I don't even think it's a crush. It's just this infatuation of everything that he is. And he's from outside. Yeah. It, that's very small she, town. Yeah. Typical oh, she of wants, like, she wants out. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, but anyway, so they have this whole scene where he's just looking around and connecting all the players. Yes. Which this is the first and only time all of the central players are in the scene together. Did Was it actually filmed all together or was it like... I think so. Oh, cool. Uh, the only person who is not in that sequence who's a major character is Jacoby. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Otherwise, everybody who's like a major mm-hmm. character is in that it's sequence. Present. Um, so Clarence, uh, Reverend Brocklehurst does his uh, readings. Uh, James walks, walks over, just rode, rode up on his bike, I get, left his aunt and uncle's house, drove around. And I was like, mm, I okay. am in the, mood of, yeah. in the mood for a funeral today, I guess. And then he shows up, keeps his distance, though. Um, Johnny Horn, so this is uh, Audrey's special needs brother, um, shouts amen a few times. Uh, which and, and then there's a great reaction by the reverend. It who, was... Who, like, he finished... The reverend finishes his passage, and then the brother just yells, amen! Yeah. Like, real, really times. loud to the point where, like, you can see other people, like, uh-oh, Are this, this is awkward. I don't know how to handle this in this yeah. situation. And he just looks at him and goes, well said, Johnny. Yeah. Well it, said. It, as a, and it, it's... In a my beautiful moment. Yeah, in I my, actually really, really like that moment. In the before times, I do volunteer work with special needs kids, mm. and that was just such a lovely way of like incorporating yeah. behavior into like, let's not make this uncomfortable or othered. Like, and then Bobby turns it upside down, and then Bobby turns it upside down. But this is a great speech. So he yells that the town is full of hypocrites and that they knew she was in trouble but did not interfere, so Everett resp- res- is responsible for her death. No lie. Yeah, absolutely. And I, the beautiful thing about it is, again, this is like one of my, the biggest things that I hate in television especially. It's not as common in movies, but it's certainly there. But more so in television is, we talk about this in some of the interview sequences from earlier episodes, but unnecessary withholding oh it makes me fucking bonkers and it's this is it like the show as a whole everyone is a part of this everyone contributed in some way everyone's an enabler Mm -hmm. and whatever to come right out and acknowledge it Mm -hmm. so clearly is fantastic yeah and we see kind of as the episode goes on we see that there's been an established problem in uh in the town with drugs Mm -hmm. and obviously laura was was wrapped up in that um and then james and bobby fight period end of sentence i don't remember the context did did james just rush bobby james rushed they they kind of looked at each other and rushed each other Mm -hmm. so this is this is James probably this is interesting too and I'm I'm just kind of making this correlation now due to what happens later in the episode but they Bobby is still upset at James from you know, some biker's going to get his head kicked in and, oh, and yeah. all that stuff for 
Oh, and they woofed at him in the yeah, prison. I forgot about that. All of that. Bobby's hatred for James from all all of that. But then he he yells at everyone for not doing anything. And then later in the episode during the Bookhouse Boys sequence when mm-hmm. these guys are kind of doing like um, vigilante justice, James is one of those people. So James oh. is doing things to try to put – James was trying – like was legitimately trying to save Laura – so I think he felt genuinely slighted when he said, like, you guys are all hypocrites. Sure. No, none of you did anything. Meanwhile, like, they did. James is like, I am trying. I've been tr- I have been doing this. I have a secret club and everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, like, I that kind of is some justification there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, whew, one of the, for me, one of the roughest scenes in probably the whole show is uh leland then so they bobby and james are brawling yeah um oh bobby points at james and says you're a dead man cool um leland sort of has a breakdown and does he jump or fall he dives dives like swan dives onto the casket and it's as it's being lowered right it's I, I you, it's hard to tell. It kind of jumps right at it. I don't know if it was starting to be lower, lower when he jumped on, or it started lowering because he jumped on it. Oh, okay. Um, but whatever it was, his weight adding to it malfunctioned. So the thing. he's so it just starts slowly rising and falling, scream sobbing, and like clutching the flowers on top of her casket, oh, and just this heart like the kind of noise that people, the, the kind of noise that is the reason I don't watch like. I try to avoid movies where there is like really authentic grief because yeah. it hurts my heart. That like scream yeah. cry is too much for me to emotionally handle. Like I, I, I'm, I don't know if I'm too empathetic for it, and it just like yeah, cuts probably. me. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I, I love those though. I mean, I, Ugh, I really enjoy I can't. that. But. Well, but you're a well-regarded psychopath, so. <laughs> I mean, I don't like love it. Like I sit there and laugh at it. <laughs> uh, but like, what a wacky way to sh- like so it's funny but terrifying and heartbreak and then and then it's a mess of contradictions sarah palmer drops to her knees this fucking leans me. over the the grave looks down in it and says leland don't you screw this up too don't you ruin this don't too. you ruin this too two what there's been there's been tons of discussions that i've seen in Twin Peaks forums all over the place of why does she say screw this up to, or ruin this too? Because they ne- spoiler they never really establish exactly what she's talking about, but there are some possibilities. Yeah, I mean, what and do, we don't what know what two. Yeah, what is what is what is their relation? Like we still don't ever really know Sarah and Leland's relationship because we really is only know them as like grieving is, parents, yeah, which takes what, the front seat. Or is it is it just it's. It's wild. It, it's it, but it's just a it's a crazy crazy scene. It's so hard to watch for me. It's great though. I and mean, as a really human well. with human emotions, yeah. it's hard yeah. to watch. Um, so we cut back to the diner. I, I like it because it's hard to watch. Like, mm-hmm. okay, fine, mm-hmm. whatever. Mikey's favorite movie is Schindler's List. He just watches it and giggles and has such a nice time. His birthday party was Schindler's List. <laughs> I hate you. I hate you. And everybody's dressed in black and white except for one person. Mikey wore red because he was the birthday boy. <laughs> and I'm the psychopath. 
Bobby, how can you stand it? The see the okay. I talk about watching scenes because I think I find that the emotional stakes are interesting to watch. And you were giggling about throwing a Schindler's List themed birthday party, and I'm the psychopath. Lynchian thing to do, right? It's like some kid's birthday party. No. Just no. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Feels good to laugh. Um, at the diner, so we're back to the diner. Speaking of monsters, like me and you, um, Shelly entertains customers by telling them about Leland's outburst, which is A, deeply inappropriate, and B, pretty funny the way she does it. But, and the fact that it's like, you, presumably, so she, there was a commercial in the middle there. Right. The last thing you see is this, and then going up and it, down, going up and down, up and down, and then it goes to black. Commercial, 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 and they come back, and they lighten the mood up right away. Right with away. Like, hey, oh, and like <laughs> while animating also it with do, the the napkin dispenser and stuff like while that. While also doing the thing that all shows do, which makes streaming a really obnoxious thing to watch, is like, and now you have to go to the caves. And then the commercial break happens and it comes back and it's like, you have to go to the caves right now. Like they repeat the thing oh. they said right before the thing. Yeah, well, it was yeah, a reminder of what happened, but right. also in a funny way. Let's let's move past the sadness. But she does she does it with like little fingers walking and then with the napkin dispenser yeah. that she's like it's lowering actually, it behind the counter a little bit. Yeah, it's great. It's funny. And you it hear, kinda makes me like her much less though. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but it's... Is that the only time we check in with Shelly? No, 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 no. We, she has a whole scene later. Um, but meanwhile, during that scene, you overhear Big Ed, Hawk, and Truman talking about... Cooper. Uh, putting a... The, the, placing a bet, and oh. the loser has to buy food for everybody or yeah. whatever. Um, but you don't hear what they're betting necessarily. Right. So Big Ed warns Harry and Deputy Hawk that he's skeptical about... Skeptical skeptical oof, about trusting Cooper um, as he's not one of them. Cooper then enters the diner and joins them and orders uh, a slice of huckleberry pie this time. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had huckleberry pie? No. It's quite good. Huckleberries grow in the Pacific Northwest. They grew all around Montana. We used to just pick them off trees. Mm-hmm. It was very rustic of me. Um, orders a slice of pie. Once again, very specific order. It's very a la when Harry met Sally kind of thing. But but also like not changing anything. Mm-mm. No no no. I just I want I'm, the pie I'm hot, take... the ice cream cold. Yeah, that's yeah. Um, upon seeing Ed and Norma interact, he asks how long Ed has been in love with even her. Even that they don't even interact. They sh- she's looking at him getting his order. They sh- exchange a quick glance. I like, think Ed says, "Do you want pie?" Yeah, and that's all he says while she's there. And Norma takes the order and leaves. Yeah. Um. La la la. Um. That's yeah, how so long Ed's been in love with her. Uh, Harry then tell, and then that's what you find out the bet is or whatever. Yeah, that like oh, I looks like you're paying for because in the last episode or two episodes ago, uh, uh, Cooper does that exact same thing to uh, Harry and, and yeah and Josie. Um, Harry then tells Cooper. Okay, so Harry tells Cooper about a drug running operation that they're trying to bust. Uh, Harry tells Cooper coming that, down from Canada. From Canada. Um, Harry tells Cooper that there's an evil in the woods and the men are part of a secret society that fight that evil. And they do their really cool 
bookhouse boys <laughs> gesture, which is touching and, their face. Yeah, it's a it's a weird little swipe downward, like a tear kind yeah. of. Um, but like on the outside corner of the eye, yeah. not like yeah. Um, um, but that that was the thing, and I mentioned it when it happened earlier. Um, was it the pilot? Hawk and I think it's the first episode. Hawk, because Cooper's already there for a little bit. Co- uh, Hawk and Truman look at each other, and they both do that at each other mm-hmm. and don't acknowledge what it, what it means or anything like that. I just think it's adorable that they're all sitting at the table together and then do the little code to each other, which ostensibly that's supposed to be like, "Hey, like I'm in." Well, I that and it's saying like we're gonna do a thing off the books, mm-hmm. like. We'll do this. Don't tell yeah, this isn't, Andy. Don't tell right. Lucy. Like We're not doing this in our capacity yes. as lawmen. We're yeah, doing this exactly. as as the Bookhouse um, Boys. Yeah, so the, yeah, they, we haven't said that, but they call themselves the Bookhouse Boys due to the Bookhouse, which the, is like a little bar-library combo thing. Unclear. Um, the men go to the Bookhouse, and Harry says they've been meeting there for 20 years, and it implies that it's a generations-long yeah. thing. Um, James and another young man, Joey Paulson. Is that his first appearance? Joey was the one who snuck Donna out of the roadhouse at the end of the pilot on her bike. Oh, yeah, and yeah. They, they pull him over and they're like, that's not James. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Um, so they have uh, Bernard Renault. Renault? Renault. Renault. I don't speak French. Who is a janitor? Neither does he. (laughs) No, but he speaks like he has a French accent. accent. Uh, Yeah, it's his accent is pretty bad. Also, like, if they're coming down from the Pacific Northwest area of Canada, Mm -hmm. that's not super French Canadian. No, isn't that east? Yeah, that's like northeast Canada. yeah like that's in like montreal which montreal. is montreal like it's just weird that like it was a weird the, choice all of the canadians like you don't need to make them french and yeah. i don't think it plays in any way other than their names are renault and not and jacques is the other one and yeah. not to mention that like a, Canadians have their own distinct accent, even if they speak in English. Yeah. And B, like, if you get up near the border of Canada, fucking everybody talks like that. Like, everybody kind of has that, and, that yeah, Canadian lilt. But I guess, like, it's not... I don't It wouldn't be scary if they were like, oh, I don't know, eh? Oh, no. Oh, oh geez, yeah, I hate to see oh, it. Oh, jeez. I, I don't know where where my brother is. Like, um, I you, that wouldn't... I don't. I. I just don't. But it's. But this accent is so menacing. It's eh? a strong choice. I and have it, some French bread. I will eat with some cheese, fromage. It's a strong choice, and it doesn't add anything. It's just distracting. And, and Bernard's is a bad accent. It's even worse when Jacques does it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. None of it's good. Um. So they have uh, Bernard Renault uh, bound and gagged in this meeting house they uh they captured him after he came across the border that morning with an ounce of cocaine an ounce can you believe it michael um they captured himself they captured him, oh yeah, yeah we said that uh he denies being a mule which i think is fair because if somebody's a mule yeah transporting an ounce of cocaine then their expenses are really high um not great use of overhead he denies being a mule says the cocaine was for personal use his brother jacques 
is a bartender at the Roadhouse, and Bernard tells tells him to talk to his brother, and Cooper says um, he does not believe that Bernard would tell them where and when to find Jacques. Um, so Jacques is walking, we cut to Jacques, who's walking toward the Roadhouse, going to work, ostensibly. He is the bartender. The bartender. I get you a beer? Um, and he sees a red beacon flashing on the roof, which is obviously a signal that, you know, there's trouble. Danger, um, Will Robinson. And runs away. Okay, so uh, cut to Leo, who is Shelley's husband, the trucker we talked to earlier. Abusive, we don't like him. Bad hair, bad actor. Leo's in his kitchen, scraping at a shoe with a knife. Does that play? I think it's... He was just in the woods with Bobby and Mike mm. for that coke deal. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he's trying to, like, cover those tracks. And we know he needs a new pair of shoes because he said Leo needs a new pair of shoes. Yeah. You know, like, people talk. Yeah. Um, uh, so the phone rings. Uh, Jacques is on the other end. He demands that Leo gets him out. You did... You. You failed to mention the sweater he's wearing. Oh, that's on me, Mikey. Which, I'm so sorry. When Leo Johnson, who's like your heavy-duty villain uh-huh. in this, like he's yeah. a very the menacing character, yeah. he's wearing like this like powder blue and like royal blue. Like kind of chevron-y. Kind of, yeah, but like... It it's looks, a cheerful-ass it, sweater. It's, but it looks like it was like hand-knit. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, it's super weird. I, it's just a, an odd character shirt. Like prior to that, you've had him in like black t-shirts mm-hmm. or like a long sleeve shirt. Like right. it just is a really odd, odd costuming choice. Yeah. Um, also, for some reason, it really bugged me when um, when Jacques had called him and was like, "Come get me," and Leo's like, "Okay," and he's like, "And I don't like to wait." Well, I mean, sir, you just called him. It's not like you had a scheduled pickup. Like, don't. And you're going to have to wait. You know he's at his home because you're on the phone with him. Shut up. I'm on my way. <laughs> um, so Shelly walks in as Leo leaves. He says something mean to her, I assume. I don't remember. She said, where, she said, where are you going? And he said, suck my dick, lady. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, Shelly pulls a gun out of her purse and hides it with that bloody shirt, which we saw last episode, two episodes ago, that when Leo threw his laundry at Shelly and she went to wash it, found a bloodstained shirt and hid it in like a little compartment. And that's what she got her ass beat for is that he couldn't find that shirt anymore. Yes. And he thinks that's she right. lost he, it or he destroyed it. He subsequently beat her with uh, soap and a sock. It was awful. Um, she pulls a gun out of her purse, hides it with the bloody shirt. Next, Harry visits Josie. Um, oof, okay. So Josie is the uh, owner of the sawmill. Who She inherited it from her late husband. Andrew Packard. Andrew Packard. Josie is a uh, an immigrant from Hong Kong who was married to Andrew. Um, Andrew's still-living sister, Catherine, mm-hmm. is another kind of villainy character in this. Mm-hmm. She's, a, she's a really soap opery, soap mm-hmm. operatic villain, I guess. Um, she thinks she should be running it and kind of probably has her, her thumb on the scale in some places. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's that constant tension between them. Harry our, um, is our sheriff who is also sleeping with Josie. Yes. Did I sum it up? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Harry visits Josie who says something horrible is going to happen and that Catherine and Benjamin, uh, Benjamin Horn is Audrey Horn's father, owns the Great sleeping Northern with and is sleeping with Catherine Martell. S- she basically, in short, whatever they, the, her, okay. Josie 
thinks that Andrew, her late husband, mm-hmm. was did not die accidentally. How she did, thinks. How did he die? Boating accident. Boat accident. Okay. She thinks Catherine and Ben Horn had something to do with it in order to swindle the mill away from it because Catherine wanted, I don't remember, but Ben wanted the land. I think Mm. Catherine wanted them to buy, get the mill, sell the mill, and Ben would get the land. Like, or they were going to destroy the mill so that Catherine could get the insurance. That's what it was. They're going to destroy the mill so Catherine can get the insurance money Mm -hmm. and Ben Horn can have the land. Okay. All right. Right? Yes. And because Mikey traditionally has a hard time following this subplot, we're going to like plant a flag right there and try to remember what the fuck happens with that subplot as the show goes on. Yeah. So so Josie thinks Catherine and Ben Horn are in cahoots. Or she thinks they had something to do with Andrew's death. And also... So in turn, she fears for her own life now that she owns the mill. And she also suspects that they're cooking the books. She said there's like a little uh, safe behind a uh, staircase. And that's why she thinks insurance fraud. They're trying to make the the books look like the mill was more profitable Mm -hmm. so they can get more insurance money when they destroy it. Um, So she... Uh, so Josie shows Harry the hidden safe. Um, she says there's two ledgers with different numbers. When she opens it up, one's missing. Catherine is doing the most 90s eavesdrop that's ever existed, which is she's just standing next to the intercom in another room, just hugging hugging the, the, hugging, hugging the very book it's they're great. talking about. I, that image is one that's always in my brain because like when they had the old Twin Peaks, Twin Peaks trading cards, that was the Piper Laurie image. Oh, and funny. Because like, she's got, it's a very soap opera look. Like That's funny. Yeah. Um, and just that particular image is, is, I don't know, just ingrained. For some reason, I, and I, <laughs> those buzzers, because I grew up in like the 80s and 90s, those buzzers to me was like rich kid shit. Oh, yeah. Which like, it's not like I grew up, because like I grew up in a pretty decently you wealthy also family, but like. Big enough to necessitate require it. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we, I had a perfectly lovely childhood. But anytime I'd go over to a friend's house and had a buzzer, I'm like, "Fuck yeah, you guys are." This is like Richie also, Rich. I don't think you can do what she was doing. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> like, and even even if you could, my main memory from those is no matter whatever button you're pushing, it was just always like, "Hmm." <laughs> yeah. So I'm just imagining them having like the secret conversation in the background, it's like. That would be great. And they're like, mm, nothing, nothing wrong also, here. What a shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> um, Catherine holds a book. Uh, second book hides in a drawer with a hidden compartment. Lots of hidden compartments in this episode. I mean, yeah. If you're, you know, you have trying. You shit in Twin Peaks. Yeah, right? if you're trying to, like, commit insurance fraud, then you tend to have hiding places. Yeah. Um, Pete walks in to ask about, oh, poor Pete. Pete is the long-suffering husband of Catherine. Um, she does not like him. She does not respect him, does not care for him. He just wants to go fishing, man. Like, that's literally... Mm-hmm. Like, if he had an I Wish story at the beginning of musical, it would just be like, I just want to fish, 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 fish. And I wish... Do you know what that... I have no idea what you're talking about right in now. In a musical... Really oh, okay. In a musical, um, 
there's like an introduction song and there's almost always an I wish song. So in Hamilton, it's I'm not throwing away my shot in um, can't think of another musical off the top of my head. It, it, so it's just a way to tee up the rest of the story of like, this is the journey the hero is going on. And okay. if Pete had such a song, it would just be about fishing. Okay. That's all he wants to do. Sure. An I wish song. Look it up. Um, Catherine tells Pete to ask her to her face to look in the safe. That poor man. He doesn't deserve this. Um, Cooper watches the new grave and Dr. Jacoby wearing a hat and cloak. Really chill outfit, as usual, Dr. Jacoby. Um, approaches uh, with a garland of flowers. Cooper says he did not see doc- Dr. Jacoby at the funeral. The psychiatrist admits that he did not actually care about the problems of the townspeople. But Laura changed all that. I forgot about this exchange. He's like, yeah, I'm their therapist. I'm bored. Yeah, I mean, he's a... He's a, I, you wonder if it's even a legitimate license, if he has a legitimate license. Like, he's not good at what he does. And they establish like he's that. he's a doctor the way I'm a minister. Out the gate. He's just like. A kook. Yeah. And he wears, if you're not watching along, he wears these, like, 3D glasses all the time. Yeah. And it is just a wild way to walk through the world. Um, Josie asks Harry if it's, so jo- um, Josie asks Harry to come by. Oh, she's, he's already there. Sorry. Lost track. Uh, Josie asks Harry if it's possible that someone killed her husband so that Benjamin could have the land and asks if they would kill her too. And Harry reassures her, they smooch. And he tells her she's the most beautiful woman he's ever seen. Uh, cut to Cooper and Deputy Hawk sitting in the hotel while people, while people dance, um, discussing the existence of the soul. Um, this is a part that's obviously written by David Lynch. Yes. Like, Yes, I feel uh, like I feel like in this episode, you could take any scene and be like, "This scene was written by Lynch. This scene was written by Frost. Yeah. This scene was written by Peyton." Um. Okay, I have a question. Yeah. What is this dance? Because it's not a reception. Like, I know after funerals there's usually a reception, but that's not a traditional dance party. But there are people like slow dancing as if they're at a wedding or. I think they're just back at the great northern. Like, they're just back at the... Oh, the it's just like guests. It's unrelated. Yeah, it's, oh. it's just... Yeah, I mean, if there was other... Because there's nobody else in that scene that's from... Oh, okay. The funeral. It's just, it's just people dancing. They're they're playing music, so people are dancing. Mm-hmm. Um, so Leland enters again. Another deeply difficult scene for me to watch. Um, and he keeps trying to get somebody to dance with him. Mm-hmm. Dancing is a big thing with Leland. Um, and There's always music in the air. Mm-hmm. And he keeps like asking random women who are coupled up to dance, mm-hmm. and they're obviously directed not to talk and just do like, oh. Yeah. Um, and then he has a breakdown. Uh, Cooper and Hawk pull him up and take him home. And that is. And then, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful, like, because some of the, the, like, we talked about trauma and grief being a, a strong through line, more so in the third season, but, uh, but pulling through another um, prominent concept throughout the series is home. Okay. And the meaning of home and what is home and why is that home? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is kind of one of the first moments of that where like he's scrambling around, he's lost, he's, he's doing this unmoored. Dan- yeah. And then they say, come on, let's get you up. Let's take you home. It's like home, home home and it's it's 
very much it's like a the first indication of like safety and mm-hmm. there's some like home is important mm-hmm. and i i've never really looked into it or thought about it in depth enough to to get my meaning of of it more so in third season i know home is a a journey and a destination and like it could go into some transcendental meditation thing where it's about home being when when you are at peace with the world mm-hmm. and where you are and it's home a, de- is a, home is a destination more than a, and yeah a place um but yeah that's also that comes back to the love of wizard of oz where home mm-hmm. is the entire premise of the movie is to try to get home and he really whatever. likes that edward sharp and the magnetic zeros song a whole lot yes okay that wraps up the episode we will talk to you next week Thank you for listening to Cooper Duper at Twin Peaks Podcast for Regular People, hosted by Michael Greif and me, Jessica Blumke Greif. Our podcast logo is by Forker Creative. You can follow them at Forker Creative. Our theme music is by Brad Chactus. You can always email us at cooperduperpod at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes and leave us a positive review and tell a friend. We'll see you next week.